Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that you chose us. We are children of God. Yes, we are. Lord, we praise you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for your leading, your direction, your grace, and your mercy and love. Lord, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us as individuals and as a church body to be part of your will, part of your plan and purpose for this world. And Lord, we lift up our nation and this world and its leaders. We pray that you would guide them and direct them to your will as well. Lord, we pray for churches all over this city, all over for this state and this nation and the world as they lead people to you. And we pray that you would give the leaders of each church boldness and courage to speak your truth, to lead people through worship into your throne room. And so, Lord, use the churches around the world to bring revival, to lead people who do not know you to Jesus Christ and those who do know you into a closer relationship with Jesus. We pray for the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ, that that hope would be brought into the hearts of people. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to us that your life-changing hope would change us from the inside out. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for today and lift all this to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The sun felt so good on his face to feel the warmth of the sunshine as it hit his skin. In the anger that he felt in that moment, that sun was a relief. He could smell the flowers around him. He could touch the soft leaves of the plants. And that calmed him in this moment of anger and frustration. As he walked through the garden, he began to look back and put the pieces together of the puzzle that had just been revealed to him. He saw clearly now what had led up to this moment? For months, he realized that one of his closest advisors was not an advisor at all, but was someone grabbing for power. <clears throat> he realized that his own wife saw the truth, and he had not. And so he walked in the garden trying to discern what to do. What would be the next step for him as he figured out what was taking place. And so he, he put the puzzle pieces together and realized that this man had it out for an entire people group within his kingdom. And he had been plotting for months to try and bring this people to their demise. And then... He came to realize just last night as he was sleepless and he, he couldn't find the rest that he wanted, he had realized that one of these people that were being sought after to, to destroy them, one of these very people had saved his own life. And he thought for a moment, the irony in all of this, the irony in the fact that he had been saved 
by an Israelite man. And now he was having dinner with a man who wanted to destroy the Israelites altogether. What would he do? He knew in that moment he needed to listen to the wisdom of his wife. And so he took in one more minute of that beautiful sunshine. And he took one more breath and smelled the beautiful flowers around him. And he determined what was going to be the next step and walked into the room. It's the story of King Xerxes that we find in the book of Esther. So I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to the book of Esther. Now, Esther's in the Old Testament. Uh, you're going to find it after the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and before the book of Job. Uh, Job is before Psalms, so if you know where Psalms is, you kind of open up in the middle of your Bible, you're more than likely going to hit Psalms. If you do that and go backwards, you'll go through Job and then you'll hit Esther. It's a good-sized book, it's nine full chapters, and it tells us a story about what is happening right before uh, and in the midst of the Israelite people going back to Jerusalem in this kingdom that now rules over Israel. So let me give you a little history recap of what has happened. So the Israelite nation has had King David, and King David has led them and his son King Solomon to lead the Israelite nation to great wealth and prosperity, and they're doing well. And then the kings after Solomon lead them away from God, and Israel just morally and financially and physically go into ruin. And we see that because of their unwillingness to follow God, they end up disobeying God so much that God says, that's it, I'm done, I'm going to send a nation to overtake you. And so he sends the Babylonian kingdom, you may have heard of King Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, he sends King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, destroys the Israelite nation, destroys the temple, and ships all of the Israelite people away, sends them off to other parts of his country so that they can't gather together and rebel against him. Then we find out further on in history that actually the Babylonian kingdom uh, gets overtaken by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians is the kingdom that we find in the book of Esther. King Xerxes is the king. And we find that if you put the puzzle pieces together, Nehemiah and Ezra, which were two books before Esther, the Israelites have been allowed to go back to the kingdom of Israel, back to Jerusalem, but many have stayed behind. And Esther and her family are one of the groups of Israelite people that did not go back to Israel, but stayed where they had planted. Uh, And we're going to see this play out in history all the way through Jesus and beyond. Uh, later on in the New Testament. But uh, there are groups of people that stayed behind in these other countries and did not return to Israel. And we find that King Xerxes, in the beginning of the book of Esther, has a wife and she does some really not intelligent things. You see, back then, the king's authority was paramount. And you couldn't say anything bad You couldn't even go speak to the king unless he had called upon you to come and speak to him. And his wife 
says some really not intelligent things about King Xerxes and does some things that aren't very smart in that day and time. And King Xerxes ends up sending her away. And she's not his wife anymore. And then he goes out to find a new wife. And in that search, he finds this woman, an Israelite, named Esther. And he marries her. She's beautiful. He's very happy with her. And then it is revealed through Esther's relative, a relative named Mordecai, that there is a plot to kill all the Israelite people. A plot that is being hatched by a man named Haman. I know there's some weird names in here, but stick with me. So Haman has gone to the king. He's one of the king's trusted advisors. He has gone to the king and has said, there is a people group in your kingdom that is plotting to disobey you. They don't follow you. They don't like you. They won't follow your commands and your laws. I propose that we just wipe them out. And I'll even fund the campaign to wipe them out. I'll fork up the money. And so Xerxes says, all right, Haman, let's do it. Now, Haman never actually reveals what people group it is or the details about what's going on. He just gives Haman permission to do what he's done. Mordecai finds out and sends a messenger to Queen Esther. And I want you to pick up in Esther chapter 4. Basically, what's happening in chapter 4 is Queen Esther and Mordecai are sending a messenger back and forth, back and forth, sending these messages. They're having conversation via email, kind of. They're not getting face-to-face. They have somebody going back and forth between them. And this is the conversation. Pick up in verse 11 of chapter 4. Verse 11. All of uh, this is um, Esther speaking. All, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Now let me tell you what's happening here. Mordecai is encouraging Esther to go talk to the king. She has the king's ear. So Mordecai is telling her, go and talk to your husband and tell him what's happening. And Esther's saying, Mordecai, don't you realize if I go in and the king does not extend his golden scepter to me, that's a death sentence. You're asking me to put my life on the line. And it's not as if Mordecai, or, uh, King Xerxes has not killed people before for going into his inner court without permission. Let's see what else they say. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are of the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai tells Esther, listen, who knows 
if all of your making your way into the king's family, being the king's queen, who knows if that didn't happen, God didn't make it happen for the sole purpose to save the Jewish people. Who knows whether or not that's exactly the reason that you're supposed to be here. And so, in this moment, Esther calls for the people of Israel to go into a time of prayer and fasting. And so they pray and they fast and they seek God's face as to what to do and what should be the next steps. And she decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an amazing dinner for the king and invite him to come. And I'm going to invite Haman along with him. And so she goes into the inner court. And because of God's blessing in her life, Xerxes extends his golden scepter. And she invites him to a feast. He and Haman come. And he says, what do you want, my queen? And Esther looks at him and says, you know what? I want to just love on you. So I want you to eat and have fun tonight. And then I want to do this again tomorrow. And so they eat and they have a great time. And during that time, that one day span between one dinner and the next, a bunch of things happen. Haman builds himself a big place to hang Mordecai from. He and Mordecai don't get along. And so he builds gallows. Gallows that can be seen from any point in the city. But the king that night can't sleep. And it's recorded in the book of Esther that because the king can't sleep, he decides to go and have the book of deeds brought to him. The book of deeds were the book that recorded all of the good things that the people did for the king. And he reads about how this guy named Mordecai saved his life from a rebellion. And he goes, who's this Mordecai? And his servant says, oh, he's one of the Israelite people. And he discovered this rebellion, and he brought it, and we squelched it without it affecting you. And he goes, that's wonderful. Mordecai needs to be honored. And the next morning, he brings Haman in and says, Haman, I want you to honor Mordecai for what he did. I want you to give him your robe, and I want you to put him on your camel, and I want you to parade him through town and let the people see just how amazing Mordecai is. And Haman goes, yes, sir. He doesn't want to do it. He just built gallows for the guy. And then the dinner of the next day comes. And the king looks at his queen and says, What do you want from me? And she says, Listen, there's a plot being hatched right now to kill every single one of my people. My own family are going to be murdered. And the man who's plotting it, I want to expose him. And he goes, Who is it? She goes, it's him, the other guy at the table, it's Haman. And it's recorded that the king is so mad that he stands up and he goes and walks in a garden that's probably right off of the room that they're eating dinner. And he goes and tries to figure out what to do. And when he comes back in, it's recorded that Haman is, Esther is sitting at a couch and Haman is begging her, holding her shoulders. And the king walks in as Haman is touching his wife. And he explodes and has Haman killed. Now why, are, why is this book even in the Bible? What is the point here? Well the point is this. God calls us sometimes to act. Even when it may be a high risk situation. 
Esther's life was on the line by going and doing what she did, but she knew that it was the right thing. She knew that it was exactly what God was calling her to do. And I would pose that there's some things in our own lives that God is calling us to do, but we're too afraid to do them because they're high risk. And I would challenge us this morning to ignore the risk and pay much more attention to God's leading in that situation. Uh, let's, let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. Take your Bibles or your apps. Turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. If you don't know where Matthew is, I just encourage you to open three or four pages in and go to the table of contents. Uh, it's in the section called the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament. And so I want you to turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we have this instance where Jesus is telling lots of, of parables about the kingdom of God. He's talking about who's going to come in and how things are going to play out. He talks about, he gives indications about how the second coming is going to happen and how no one's going to know the time or the place or, or the occurrence. It's going to happen when least expected, but that we're to be prepared. And then he tells this story. This instance, I want you to look with me at chapter 25, verse 31. Chapter 25, verse 31. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with Him, this is Jesus speaking, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do also for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed. Into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and imprisoned and you did not look after me. Then they also will answer, Lord... When did you, we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do also for me. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? There are times when we as followers of Christ are instructed, are led to help those that we can help. And according to Matthew 25, when we help those who need help, 
We're actually helping the kingdom. We're helping the king. We're, we're supplying for the king's people. Or maybe leading someone into the king's kingdom. And so, I think it's clear that we're called to help. We're called to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. Uh, and, and here's my big statement for today. I, I have a statement. If you're a note taker, this is where you write down something. But this is that idea that I want you to think about this week. And it's, it's pretty cut and dry. It's pretty clear. It's this. See the need. Face your fears. Kill your excuses. And act. I think that's what Esther had to do. She saw the need. Mordecai made it clear that if she did not act then the lives of the Israelite people were going to be on the line. But she also saw fear. She knew that by going into the king's throne room, her life would be on the line. She had to hope and pray that the king was in a good mood that day. She had to face those fears, and then she had to do away. She had to execute and kill the excuses that she had playing in her mind. Well, maybe I'm not old enough. Or maybe I don't have enough favor with the king. Or maybe I don't have the right dress to go and do this. Or maybe I don't have the right words to give to him. She had to take all of those excuses and do away with them. She had to kill them. And then she had to finally, through the leading of God, remember, she called the people to pray and fast for three days. She had to recognize God's leading in her life and she had to take those fears and excuses, do away with them, and then she had to act. And here's the thing. I think all too many times we see the needs but we let our fears or our excuses get in the way. And I want us to be a people that don't live in fear, that don't live by excuses, but instead we live by the action that God calls us to. And I think this is a great time for us to recognize what those needs are. Now, you, you may be saying, man, we've been hearing about this for two months now. And we have on purpose. We are not called to sit in these pews. We're called to live as followers of Jesus, to go and act and make a huge difference in the lives of the people that are around us. We're called to be Esther. We're called to put our fears, put our excuses on the back burner and go and do what God calls us to do. Now, we have highlighted many ministries over the last two months. We've had opportunities to mentor students, We've had opportunities to go make a difference in our community. We've had opportunities to make a difference here at First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale. And now I want to highlight one more ministry before we finish up with this series next month. I want to highlight one more ministry. So I want to invite uh, Trey and April to come up here and um, hang out with me for a minute. Tyrone, I'm grabbing this mic. Is this one okay? All right. Take that. Uh, this is Trey and April. They're involved in a ministry that we have supported here at First Southern for many, many years called Bridge to Hope. 
Uh, and I want to highlight Bridge to Hope with you today because there's actually a need right now that we have as a church to go and meet a need at Bridge to Hope. Uh, and so I want to talk to Trey and April a little bit about, first off, what the ministry is and how it's affected you guys and then how to get involved. So, so let me ask this question. What does Bridge to Hope do and how does that work? Hold the mic up. Oh. <laughs> That's on. Perfect. Okay. So the Bridge to Hope offers moms and their children a safe place that they will call home. We have come from either homelessness, violence, or drug addiction. The B2H, oh, there we are. There we go. Uh, <laughs> provides a fully furnished apartment, food in the pantry, and spiritual, emotional, and sometimes even physical support to, this, to us moms. Um, a church sponsors our moms and our babies, and the team leads us um, in truth and love. A love that I had never witnessed before. My team was the very example of Christ's love. The love that they poured into my life impacted my heart for, um, forever. So tell me a little bit about how this ministry has personally affected each of you, because you're, both of you are on different ends of the spectrum when it comes to Bridge to Hope. April is someone who went through the Bridge to Hope program, and Trey uh, and his wife and several other members of our church are part of a team that partners with some of these mothers and children to help them. So, so talk to me about how this ministry has personally affected you. Uh, it has been one of probably the most impactful ministries that I've been involved with. I've as many of you know, uh, I do a lot at the church here um, in regards to kids' ministry and, and so forth. And it was really the first ministry that was really outside of this church that I got involved with. But the most important thing about it is that it was the first ministry that my wife wanted to be involved in. And I said, I need to support her. Somehow I ended up being on the board of directors and all these different uh, committees. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. Uh, but it is an out, it is a ministry for an audience of one. The thing that I love the most about it is that you would never know that I would do it. And that is what I love the most about it. It is showing the love of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful depiction of different denominations coming together with one purpose and one goal is to share the love of Jesus Christ with people who are in need. You may not ever get a thank you, but you will always see the fruits of your labor because our church has been dynamic of showing love to the ministry of these ladies to come in. We have kids now who went through Bridge to Hope that are teaching Sunday school that are out in the armed forces. One is just about to graduate, graduate high school and about to get into college. And if you would see where they started from, you'd like, it is the grace of God and the, foot, the fingerprints of God that that happened. And it's because of the support that we provide here and not just at our church, but different denominations. We're the Baptists. There's Methodist, there's Lutheran, but we all have the common goal of Christ. So it has become a family ministry where I can support my wife with it. And then there's kids involved. 
So my kids can come and just play and share and have a great time with them. It is amazing. So how has it impacted me? It's changed my life forever. Thanks, Trey. He's great. He's taught my kids. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys know, some of you probably do, but I was the first um, bridge mom you guys sponsored. And my team was amazing. I, I think I had like 10 on my team at the time, so that was a good thing. I, I needed that, those people in my life at the time, very, very much so. But through the bridge, I learned that God honored honesty. Um, I learned basic life skills all over again. Being dependable, showing up, um, being in the present with my children, parenting skills, anger management, because I was kind of angry. Um, I know now what love looks like. I know that because of this program, God has me here to share his glory through my story. And um, I'm just thankful. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, let's give her a hand. So if you're not aware, we have multiple families who are members of this church involved in our children's ministry. We have a few of our young adults, our college-age students, who came through the Bridge to Hope program, got plugged into First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, and have stayed with us and are now teaching kids in our ministry, in our children's ministry. This ministry is not just a ministry to go out and reach moms and children. This is a ministry that we get the benefit of seeing a long-term connection with a mom and their children plugging into a church body and us supporting them and them turning around through the growth of Christ and the discipleship and care and love that they get here. They then go and plug in and they get involved in our church, which is amazing. That's exactly what we want to see with ministry is that People don't just get stuck with getting and taking and sitting in a chair, but they start growing in Christ and giving back to the kingdom. And that's exactly what we see. We have multiple families that we see that very actively taking place today here at First Southern. So tell me briefly, how can someone get involved with this ministry? What are the needs? So uh, we do have a new mother uh, that I learned today that I have a honeydew list that I have to do because Sally told me and stuff, uh, to get involved. But uh, we do have a new mother that's coming. So if you want to be part of our team, if you like to have dinner, it's a great fit for you because we meet with the ladies at least once uh, every two weeks to have dinner. If you want to go to talk about um, how do you, if you want to take somebody to the grocery store, or if you want to take somebody to a, a splash, you can get involved with it. You don't necessarily have to be in part of the team. We have several people here at the church that we have to pick. We have to pick them up and bring them to church, and then we have to take them home. Sometimes we can't do that, and we have several people that just offer rides. So you can get involved with being a part of the team, being involved in the everyday lives of an individual that's part of our core team, or you can be part of the support staff that says, hey, we need some help about taking somebody to church and bringing them home. Can you do that? You can also do financial. Uh, one of the big pushes that we have, our church does a, a tremendous job of financially supporting uh, Bridge to Hope, but around tax time, it's, you can also use it as a tax credit. 
as well too. So we have many different needs. If you have things to donate, like furniture, because we're responsible for furnishing, furnishing a person's home, you can give that way. So there's lots and lots of opportunities uh, that we have to facilitate. Sally Jarbo and Pat Tankersey are also part of the team. They do an amazing job. Sally works for the bridge. And so uh, that sponsorship is here present. And so uh, those are just a few ways that you can do it. So here's what I would like you to do. Um, there are multiple needs uh, the Bridge to Hope has right now that we as a church and you as an individual could help uh, begin meeting. And so here's what I want you to do is I want you to swing by the Welcome Center after service is done, and I want you to go see Sally and Pat. Will you raise your hand so that people can see you? Go see Sally and Pat and just ask, what are the needs? Because there's such a wide range uh, of opportunities to help this amazing ministry. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about at-risk children. This is the epitome. This is the poster child of at-risk children and mothers. These are the ones that have reached out wanting to change their lives, and Bridge to Hope gives them the opportunity to find that life-changing hope of Jesus in multiple ways, and First Southern can be a part of that. So I want you to, at the end of the service, walk out these doors, hang a right when you go outside, and walk down to the building and where the, the glass and the open door is at. Go into that welcome center and find Sally and Pat and talk to them about what those needs might be and how you as an individual could potentially meet those needs. I can tell you right now, the biggest need, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sally, the biggest need right now is we need people to be on the team, right? We have a new mother right now that needs a team of people to partner with her, come alongside her, and help her, mentor her, uh, encourage her and her family. Um, and we need people to step onto that team right now. And Sally and Pat can give you more information about what that looks like. So will you join me in prayer as we close out this morning? Almighty God, thank you so much for the example of Esther, for who she was and what you called her to do and the courage that she had to go and do it. And Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would help us to answer your call courageously. That whatever it is that you're calling us to, that we would have the courage, that we would put away our excuses and that we would act on what you want us to do. So Lord, if it's Bridge to Hope, if it's mentoring students through Teach One to Lead One, if it's through one of the multiple ministries that we have here at the church, I pray that you would encourage us to act, to go and talk to someone about what God is calling you to do and get involved. So Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, opportunity that we have in front of us. And I pray for your guidance in each one of our lives. We thank you, we praise you, and lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time now where we get to respond to what God may be doing on our hearts. And maybe for you, it's worship. Uh, maybe you need to spend some time in prayer. If so, our altar is available to you. We encourage you to come down, kneel, and pray, and, and lift those requests up to the Lord. Maybe you need to just stand where you're at. And listen to the voice of God about direction, about the leading that He may have in your own life. Maybe you would like more information about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus looks like. If so, myself, I'm Pastor Chad and Pastor Josh. Uh, we'll be up here at this front pew. We would love the opportunity to talk to you. Or you can always grab us after the service. Uh, we're available to you if you'd like to have that conversation. 
But one way or the other, God calls us to respond to His glory. So let's stand and respond. Mm -hmm.